0: they've done an excellent job. I think they've really converted uh, very well, converted major league assets into some pretty high-ceiling prospects. I think they've also drafted really well the last couple of years, and a lot of those guys just kind of clicked, got healthy, had full seasons, or even the case of a guy like James Kapralian, who wasn't healthy but didn't actually blow out or require surgery, came back in the Arizona Fall League and still looked like a potential number-one starter. Uh, I've seen Gliber-Torres A bunch over the last two years because he was on Myrtle Beach for a while and they kept coming through where I live uh, here in Wilmington, Delaware. And it's funny that he ended up a Yankee because when I saw him for the first time in 2015, I gave a little bit of a comparison to something Derek Jeter always did, which was Jeter's two strike approach and just willingness to stay with the pitch, stay back a little bit, and line something maybe to right fielder than to right center. And Torres at 18 at that point was already doing that. He'd have a bad at-bat maybe the first one, second time through, you could see him make that adjustment, understand how the pitcher might be pitching in, and stay back like that and go the other way. Uh, I think he's a true shortstop, although he's not much of a runner. I just think his hands are good, his instincts are really good, and he's got a great arm with a quick release. So I think... He'll probably spend a good chunk of this year at double-A. I doubt they'll try to rush him, but that certainly puts him on track for a promotion at some point in 2018, assuming they have the need at shortstop. In Rutherford's case, I saw him twice as an amateur. I didn't see him in pro ball. He actually didn't play much because he had a minor injury. Uh, two guys I know who scouted the Appalachian League thought he was the best hitter there, just in terms of pure hitting uh, prowess and projection. Although he's teen, I know there was concern about, hey, he's a 19-year-old coming out of high school. The history of those guys is not great. This guy's a pretty exceptional hitter. I think he's going to hit for average, and he's going to hit for power. He is clearly a corner outfielder to me. I'd probably put him in right. It's possible he ends up in left just because you might have somebody with, uh, with a little more range who you want in right field at some point. I don't think it's going to matter. I think this guy's going to hit for very high averages. And I was aggressive in the ranking, too. I was aggressive. I thought he was a top-five player in the draft class. Then when he went out, went to an advanced league for somebody right out of high school, performed well and impressed the scouts who saw him, that's kind of the formula I'm looking for if I'm going to rank somebody aggressively. Really after, what, two months in Pro Bowl, it's not a lot of uh, sample to go on. So everything kind of has to line up for me to push a guy like I did into the global top 25. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Great. We'll go to James Bison from The Score with Mark Tompkin at the
0: Tampa Bay Times on
1: deck.
2: Good afternoon, Keith. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Sure thing. Uh, I want to ask a couple of general questions. I know you've been doing this uh, this for a while now. Um, So First off, for you, what is the biggest challenge ranking players in the case where you don't necessarily get to see them yourself? I know there's a good mix of players that you've seen and other guys that you kind of have to rely on
3: uh,
2: on reports from other scouts. So tell me just uh in terms of what you consider the biggest challenge when you just can't get out and, and see
0: one of these prospects for yourself. It's the uh mechanical aspect of it because when I was with the Blue Jays and worked with Tony Lacava, he is um his personal evaluation philosophy revolves a lot around mechanics, whether it's swing mechanics or it's delivery mechanics. And he was always adamant there's no, there's no kill. There's no such thing as a guy where you just say, nope, don't want him at all because of the mechanics. But there's things there are better and there's things that are worse. There's things we can work with, things that coaches can fix, and things that are more difficult to fix. And so it's very hard for me to uh, try to rank two players next to each other because it's essentially what this is. It's a series of pairwise comparisons throughout the top 100s, throughout the – with guys who end up off the list – And it's hard for me when, I say, a guy like Gliber Torres, who I've seen so much, to compare him against a player I've never seen. Uh, When I know when I close my eyes and picture him, picture his swing. I can picture his defense at short to compare him. Say somebody like Kevin Miton, who was the Braves' big July 2nd acquisition. He's 16, which is problem number one, and I've only seen video. And it's not even great video. It's video of probably when he was 15, swinging on a backfield in Venezuela, it's it's far less than ideal. Uh, And so, you know, two things come out of that. One is, you know, I've certainly got to lean heavily on, on video, on friends who've seen these players, on the international guys. Once a player has signed somewhere, I called international scouts I know from other teams all right, you're not the player, so what did you really think? Uh, and try to get them, you know, I'll ask specific questions. Do you like the swing? Do you like the delivery? Does he do this? What do you got? And if I've seen video, that helps, because then I can guide the questions a little bit more towards what I've seen. But also every year, once this is done and I've slept and recovered, um, and, of course, my daughter got sick last night, 10 o'clock last night, she throws up. I'm like, really, you picked the perfect time to get sick, right in the middle of the top 100 package. It's just ideal. Once I get through all of this, though, I go through my list, too, and say, who do I need to see this year? And that, especially in spring training, it's great sort of one-stop shopping to say, hey, I've never seen my Tommy. The Braves have a couple of these guys I haven't seen, uh, amateur draft guys, July 2nd guys. So I'll go to Orlando for at least a day, go to the backfield. I'm doing Florida late spring training, and I'll ask their GM or their farm director, just tell me a day to come when I'll see a bunch of these guys all in one shot uh, because I don't want, especially somebody who's ranked high or I think has the potential to be ranked high next year, I've got to fill those in. I really want to see any highly ranked player at least once every two years. The really good ones just keep coming to me because they're in the Futures game the ball League or where I live. I can drive to a lot of them. But guys in the low, low minors like that, especially guys who come from Latin America where I never mm-hmm. see them as amateurs, it's a little bit more of a – I have to be more proactive to make sure I get those guys covered.
2: Uh terrific. Uh the second question I want to ask you concerns um, guys that you see as able to make fairly significant jumps on the twenty eighty scale, whether talking about hitters or pitchers. For you, what are some of the biggest factors in determining players with the potential to jump up significant amounts of grades, maybe twenty, twenty five or even thirty points, uh either hitters or pitchers? It's
0: physical projection more than anything else. And part of that, and I'll explain what I mean by that just a second, but part of that, too, is players do make mechanical changes, sometimes substantial ones. I mean, Jose Baptiste is a good example of a guy who overhauled his swing and went from an extra guy to an all-star. Ben Zobrist is another one. That guy couldn't hit, period. Overhauled his swing. Not only did he hit, he starts hitting for enough power to be a six-win player. I don't do that. I might say, hey, I think this guy could be better if he makes XYZ changes, but you can't, you just can't project like that because then you could essentially wish on any player you want. And that's a level of speculation that makes me deeply uncomfortable. I would never recommend, if I were working for a team still, I would never recommend to a GM, hey, let's go pay full freight on this guy on the hope that we're gonna fix, fix his delivery, changes his Physical projection, on the other hand, although imperfect, and I could rattle off examples of guys who haven't, basically haven't projected, but we know what we're looking for. We're looking for athleticism. I'm always a huge fan of Bet, bet on the kid who's, a, who's athletic. If you've got two guys who are sort of similar, maybe one is a little bit ahead of the other presently, but the lesser guy is much more athletic, that's the guy I'll bet on. But also you're expecting, we're looking at frames. Um, I'm trying to estimate how kids will grow, how they'll get stronger. Will they get stronger top and bottom too? Um, will they uh, – how much room do they have to carry on their frame? I know scouts who go to the level, and I've had one guy say, well, he's got a little ass, so he's not going to be able to carry a lot of weight. I don't go quite to that extent, but that gives you a sense of what sort of things we're trying to look at. We're trying to make subjective judgments and turn them into, in theory, objective projections of how a body is going to fill out, how a play, what a player will look like when he's, 22, 23. we're looking at him when he's 18 maybe 16 or 15 that's the I, the guys who do the international stuff have all my respect because to have to go see 15 or even 14 year olds and guess what you think that player is going to look like when he might reach the big leagues at 22 I and you just you have to accept so much failure as part of that because i find projecting bodies 17 and 18 difficult and i could again think of examples of guys who just It just never came. Trey Ball with the Red Sox, Spencer Adams with the White Sox. These guys were supposed to throw a lot harder. They're athletic. They're projectable. They did get a little bigger. They don't throw a lick harder than they did in high school. And it's just there's no answer for it. Sometimes it doesn't come. I I can't imagine how much harder it is to do that when you're looking at players who are two years younger at the point that you have to make the decision of whether or not to sign.
2: Terrific. Thanks so much, Keith. I know how much time you spend on these – these prospect rankings so
0: we really appreciate it oh yeah you're welcome
1: we'll go to mark Tompkin from the tampa bay times next followed by jeff saunders at the san diego union tribune go ahead mark
4: hey keith thanks for doing this yeah sure mark how you doing good you know I was curious um you you dropped the raise a little bit in your uh, farm system ranking we we know how important from their perspective it is building through the farm system so I was, i was curious what you thought of of kind of their trajectory um, based on their philosophy, based on kind of their methodology, and, and both in terms of, you know, the guys they've drafted, but also the way they're playing catch-up with trades. I mean, five of the, of the top eight prospects you have on your list published today were acquired in trades. So I'm just kind of curious of, of where you
0: think they're headed and if they're headed the right way. And I think – I'm glad you said that, too, because I think that's the part. It's really kept them going, kept them competitive for a while now, is that they've traded really well. Their pro scouting department is strong – uh, and I think they've done a good job of, you know, a lot of these trades to identify the quick value one, the Matt Duffy. I mean, I'll just use that because it was a recent trade, the Matt Moore trade. Look, Duffy is a big leaguer. Right now he's pretty good, even if he stays at third base. I know they want to try him at shortstop because he was one back at Long Beach State. Slide him over there and see maybe there's more value to extract. But you know what you're getting right out of the chute. And then roll the dice on two much younger guys uh Michael Santos, who I know they've been they've liked him since he was in the Arizona Rookie League in 2012 or 2013, and I still lived out there. Right. And Lucius Fox, who was a big money guy last July 2nd and uh, or sorry the July 2nd before that, uh, and who's probably three four years away, but is a great defensive shortstop, something they don't have a lot of in the system. So that combo, that's a good approach to take in trades, especially when you know you're going to really have to live off of them to keep the farm system going. Where they've been weak, in particular, I think, up until the last two years was the drafts. And I, you're probably as well aware of this as anybody because you cover them. Their drafts just weren't that productive, and they whiffed on a lot of high picks. That one year they had seven high picks and got virtually nothing out of it. Right. They really had to, they had to change their draft approach. I feel like this is a large ship that is pivoting, so they're still moving in the right direction. And I liked a lot of what they did the last two draft classes, better. It's not necessarily going to work out perfectly. Like Garrett Whitley wasn't as advanced a hitter as people thought he was. Okay. You're going to miss on some of those, but you've got to aim a little more for ceiling because it's so much harder for them to acquire the stars. Kings don't love to trade those types of prospects and the Rays are never going to go out and buy them with money. So they kind of have to find those stars uh, through the amateur process wherever they can. And I feel like the new drafting approach is going to get them there uh, sooner, even if it means early, like I said, maybe a Whitley doesn't work out, maybe a Josh Lowe doesn't work out. Do this enough, and you know, hopefully your scouts are good enough. You will get there at some point. It just may take some time. And, and I know that race fans may not necessarily want to hear that, but there is a lot of talent in the lower levels of their system. It's just a long way away, and that generally entails greater risk.
4: And uh, as, as a quick follow-up, um, mm-hmm. given the way other teams have, have gotten smarter, to, to put it in simple terms, sure. you know, the, Rays, the Rays had been you know, using some what they thought, you know, cutting-edge philosophies and, and even evaluation tools, things like that. I mean, can they still succeed kind of playing from the, the financial disadvantage they have? Is, is there still a way to, to, to get to, to that next frontier and, and stay ahead?
0: I think it's tricky. I think it's become more difficult for clubs like them, like the A's, who were trying to rely on essentially exploiting inefficiencies. Mm-hmm. Dave Stewart's right. not a GM anymore, so you can't just
2: bank <laughs> on calling him
0: up and stealing his best prospect. I mean, there's really no bad front offices right now in all th- analytics departments, so you might believe you have a better analytics department than others. I'm sure there's such a thing as a good one and a, and a less good one. Um, but I think that a lot of those gaps have now narrowed, and you're not as likely to grab a player who's totally undervalued or unappreciated by his current club it's going to become more about being opportunistic, recognizing a point where a prospect is a little bit out of favor. Who has been doing this. They made, a, two trades with Seattle to get Alex Jackson and one, Louise Gohara and another, both of whom are, uh, are legitimately prospects, but had clearly fallen out of favor with the current regime because Jackson simply hadn't performed and Gohara has some off-field makeup questions. Uh, those are the kinds of things, the kinds of opportunities that I think will still be open to the Rays. And then if you're uh, in the leadership there, you're hoping that you are scouting a little bit better. Maybe your analytics guys are finding little things that might make a player uh, easier to acquire and trade, or more attractive to you. But there's the big home runs of the yeah, the trading Shelby Miller for three good players from Arizona. I think that's probably over. A- Gotcha, and one, one
4: last thing very quickly from the mm-hmm. guys that you had off the top 100. Jake Bowers, do you, I, I read what you wrote, but do you see the potential once they figure out first base or outfield for him, that the bat could still make him an impact type of guy?
3: I think it some makes him a regular. Yeah. He can,
0: the guy can hit, and I've seen him two, two separate stints, like I just saw him in Fall League, and I don't think he can play the outfield. The consensus is probably not going to be good enough there to stay there. Right. He can certainly play first base. He can hit. He's got a Good approach for a kid so young. It's not a power swing. He's not that. I'll go back to what I said earlier about projection too. He doesn't right. project to fill out hit for a lot of power. So can he hit 300 with a high on base percentage and it's, it's 10 homers, but it's a fluid doubles. But that's at least a regular. So I do think right. he is a he's a prospect. Do I think he's you, you use the word impact? Do I think he's an impact guy? Probably not. Right. You know, you might have more shot at impact from Gillespie, who's just so freaking strong, but mm-hmm. maybe not not the hitter or the potential defender that that Bowers is. So it's a little bit of yin and yang with those two guys. I'm thinking one of those two is your long-term first baseman. They may have to see which way Gillaspie, who was so bad two years ago and so good last year, where does he go uh, this season, which I assume he'll spend part of it in the big leagues.
4: Yeah, I mean, possibly at some point, I would think for sure.
3: Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Cool. All
1: right. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll go to Jeff Saunders at the San Diego Union-Tribune next, followed by Randy Miller from NJ Advanced Media. Go ahead, Jeff.
2: Hey, Keith. Thanks for doing this.
1: I wanted to ask. Yeah, I wanted to ask about your your opinions of Hunter Renfro.
0: He's a top 40 guy, and it doesn't seem like he's on the list this year or even last year. Uh, he is not on the list. Uh, I have major concerns about his hit tool in general. Uh, it, because I don't think he picks up off-speed pitches particularly well. And even – I think it's been borne out a little bit by the strikeout rate in AAA. We're hitting in a great environment, too. And in AA, and so I think where, where I described it, this might not be up until the Padres report, which is two days from now. Uh, but I said that you it's plus power. He runs pretty well. He's got a great arm. He might be a pretty good right fielder. He's missing the one tool that we generally think of as the most important one, at least if you're trying to forecast the player's value going forward, is, is how much is he going to hit? And I worry that with the failure to recognize breaking stuff in particular, you might say it's all off-speed stuff. I just I happen to have seen him worse against breaking stuff. That that means he's going to strike out so much and not carry enough on base percentage to really make him a quality regular. Maybe he's more of a second-division regular. Maybe he's more of a bench guy. I mean, they, it sounds like they are going to give him the everyday job, and I say, great. Um, Because I think they should. But, one, I could be wrong. That happens very often. And, two, he's there. There's no cost to essentially running the guy out there this year seeing what he does. Or maybe he makes an adjustment that I haven't expected and that I haven't seen from him. I've got some history with him going back to Mississippi State that uh, maybe he comes to the big leagues and struggles at first but makes the adjustment and starts picking up off-speed stuff better and and starts to make more contact. I'm just saying – what I've seen from him and what the numbers bear out from the last two years is that he's, he hasn't made that adjustment yet. And when a guy goes a longer period without making a required adjustment like that, I become more bearish on whether he will ever make that adjustment, if that makes sense. And that is, a, I will admit, that's entirely a subjective criterion that I use. Um, and it's uh, it will miss the Jose Bautista's from time to time. But I think the majority of guys who fail to make adjustments over a two, three-year period, probably never will. Great.
2: I had a one follow-up question. Um, mm-hmm. Who of the most recent Padres um, um, International signing class most excites you? Well,
0: uh, uh, Adrian Marihan made the top 100. Um, the reports I got on him before and after he signed were incredibly exciting. It's three inches. It's good feel. You're really not waiting on stuff. So although he's I think he's listed at six foot, so he's not terribly projectable. Um, You're not waiting for the stuff to get better. You're just waiting for experience, for reps. There's always the claim, oh, this guy's got great command. His command is right there. It's major league average right now. You know, I'll believe that when he actually starts facing some hitters. They all look great in practice and workouts or instructional league. I joked in one comment, maybe his actually, no one's ever had a bad instructional league because they're not real games. So let's see when they roll him out to – probably to Fort Wayne this year, you know, how does, it act, how does this stuff actually play? And then we'll get a sense of how advanced he is. I'll also mention Curso Ornelas, which uh, someone asked earlier about Mexican prospects. That's another one where uh, I don't think he was even that highly ranked by the folks who really spend on in the international market, which I don't, um, going in. But I did see some video of him and loved his swing. And folks I know who saw him after he signed too – kind of said the same thing, this guy looks like he can really hit. We'll see what happens when he goes out and plays, gets some real at batting games that count. Um, But when you're trying to sign these 15-, 16-year-olds, I think often what you're looking at is you're looking for athleticism or you're looking for a swing that just is so mechanically sound you feel like you can send this guy out pretty much right away and he'll be able to hit. And I think Ornelas is in that latter category. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Right,
4: Randy Miller from NJ Advanced Media Europe, followed by Paul Banks at Red Eye. Go ahead,
3: Randy. Hey, Keith, how you doing? Uh, I'm good. are you? Good. Couple questions on the Yankees. Um, yeah. On Clint Frazier versus Aaron Judge. Compare their upside. Uh, I know Judge has probably more
4: power. Frazier has the legend. Fast speed. What kind of stats do you see putting up in the
0: prime? Uh, who ultimately do you think will have the better career of those? Uh, I think you pretty much nailed it right there. But you're betting on power with Judge uh, because uh, I assume you've seen him up close. I mean, I shook his hand in my beard. Sort of uh, he is enormous, and the ball does come off his back quite differently. But Fraser has. Some of the best fast speed I've ever scouted anywhere. It's Javier bias territory. It's better than Justin Upton. You rarely come across that. Um, but in Fraser's case, and that's going to produce some power too. You, you swing that fast and that hard. You're, you're going to hit for some power. Probably at least 20 homer guys. What I really liked about Clint, though, and this happened even before they acquired him, is in the low Myers, even high school, he was hunting fastballs and. He would struggle with small speed stuff. He struck out a ton his first year in pro ball. He's really done a nice job of tightening that up. He'll still strike out a little too much. And I think he's probably confident. He knows he can hit a lot. He can make hard contact. He's probably swimming a lot of pitches. Maybe he's still got to learn to lay off some. He's come so far in the last two years. and um, you know, To my earlier point, too, when a kid is making adjustments that quickly and that significantly, he's telling you something about his baseball attitude. And, uh, while well, Judge probably has a little more upside because he's got more power, he's better athlete, uh, I think mean, he's got the better arms, he can certainly play right field and be really good there. Um, I ranked Fraser higher because I just feel better about his long term outlook. Judge has, is always going to have issues with, uh, plate coverage because his, his strike zone is so huge. And, uh, he's also going quite as many adjustments in terms of, pitches as has. I think they're both going to be good big leaguers. but essentially I'm I'm distilling your question to which one would you take? If you tell me I could have one of those guys for the next 10, 15 years, which one is going to produce more? I would I would say Frazier. Two other quick ones: You had Teo and Dylan yeah. Tate both rough out of the uh, drop down this year get them in
5: last the year.
4: And also, if you could compare the Yankees' top shortstop to the Mets top shortstop.
0: Uh, Torres you both obviously are very high on both. Uh, yeah. you just kind of compare to the Mets and Yankees kind of ravels on which uh, who do you think sure. is going to be the better one there. Obviously, they're both to be big players, but uh, you could talk a little bit about that comparison and then also dropping uh, Mateo and uh, Dylan James. Sure. I'll start with the, the two drops. Um, Mateo is he's an 80 runner. He's, he's got the potential, at least, to be being the top of the scale, potential to be a great shortstop is one yet. The big issue is he just does not make and that's what I've seen over the last two years. My understanding is that the FX style data that's accessible to teams from minor league they're out hitting weak ground balls to him and he's young by, by no means writing him off. When a guy two years and doesn't make the assessment at all um, it seems like maybe he's not going to be the ceiling lower than I thought it was a year ago, if he's not developing it, it's, it's not, I will say, although you didn't think about it, mid-year suspension had no bearing whatsoever. Uh, it sounds like it was a very trivial issue. The Yankees themselves said it's, it's not going to affect him. Uh, in Kate's case, probably a lot more team. I saw him <laughs> at Santa Barbara in as a starter and holding it with a pretty good slider. I even saw him in the inning last spring with Texas. First time out, he was bumping 95, and they cleared up the delivery. He hurt his hamstring in April, and after he came back all the way through Fall League, when I saw him yet again, his fastball was just not been Even in shorter stints in the Which I think is how the Yankees ball in that trade. Uh, but I, I'm not sure fastball, no relief. You're acquiring him, hoping that an off-season of rest and maybe Working with him on conditioning stuff, maybe you find some of that missing fastball, but it, it wasn't mm-hmm. there. Um, as for the two shortstops, Kleiber versus Rosario, obviously I love them both. If you get him right, or on the list, I think Kleiber is a more polished hitter at this point. Rosario is the better athlete. I think he have more power. Um, his bat, he's got some pretty tremendous bat speed. He really explodes through the. I think he's got really strong hands to get there, and I think he's a better defensive shortstop is going to have more range just because he's more athletic. And I I said earlier, I think Glaber's going to be a very good defensive shortstop. But he'll always be a limit, little bit limited because his feet aren't that fast. And Rosario's got a little bit more of that. He's just more of that quick twitch, kind of little more of the traditional shortstop you know, from 20, 30 years ago where we'd expect him to have that first step quickness. He's got that combined with unusual power. Whereas Torres, for me, is just a more advanced hitter going to put the ball in play a lot more, a lot of line drives, you're more sure of what you're getting him, whereas Rosario, there's still some untapped potential there, and we have not seen a lot of power out of him yet. I believe it's in there, and I think maybe getting out of some of the A ballparks, which really suppress power, might help him, but I'm projecting, I'm forecasting that there's going to be more power in the future than there has been so far in his career. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Paul Banks from Red
1: Eye was going to go next, but it appears he's disconnected. Unless he's back. we'll go ahead, and skip get now. And come back at the end. Um, Eric, from SB Nation. talking to you, back. Hey, Hey, Keith. How
2: are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, just a couple questions for you. First, uh, you, know, you announced that. Braves when they got nine prospects within the top 100. We're pretty sure that was the most you've ever seen in the top 100. Do you yeah. see enough enough depth in the system to where that is something that they maybe not get nine next year or the year after, but that is something where they have enough depth in the system and that uh, it's sort of the, I guess the projection of all these guys kind of a lot of these guys being in the lower minors that they could actually kind of be in that top echelon of having the most guys in the
0: top the next couple seasons. Uh, certainly for next year. Only Dansby. I think Dansby will actually no longer qualify after that. Um, it's funny if you look at there's a bunch of those guys too who are just going to drop right off. Ben Benintendi's another one. Um, so the Braves will lose, I don't know, maybe two guys this year. It's not a lot to graduations, and they're going to have a very high draft pick again in June. And typically, someone drafted anyone drafted in the top ten, unless it's an extreme reach or a uh, you know an over under slot deal. Those guys nearly always make my top 100 uh, the following off-season, So they're probably going to end up in that eight or nine range a second time unless unless they trade some of them or so be, they have a rash of injuries or something. It, you know, just being realistic, I say probably yes for next season. Season after that, you might see them start to drop because then I would expect either some promotions or for Coppola to start packaging some of these arms together to find someone to fill a missing hole in the big league club, because I know that the intention is to try to contend sooner rather than later. Okay. Um, the last question is: uh,
2: There's, you know, the the July second class for the Braves was obviously heralded and kind of headlined by Kevin Maiton and you know, you've written pretty extensively on him, in particular putting him on the top 100. Do you see any of the other J two signings either making, you know, making a really big impression this next season, or possibly even pushing for the top 100?
0: Uh, Gutierrez, I think I mentioned,
2: you know, I'm just talking about last
0: year's class too. He was a three and a half million dollars. I believe the catcher who yep. people say it might be Gary Sanchez all over again. I, you know, there, there's a little bit of that sort of, Hey, let's only compare Latin catchers to Latin catchers going on, which I'm not a <laughs> big fan of, but you know, the thought is he can catch. He can really throw, they think going to be some power there. I know internally he was the other guy they were particularly excited about. Um, but for the top 100 next year, if you're going to see any of their July 2nd guys, it would be someone like Pache or Cruz, who I ranked higher also, and who are just they're further along. They're going to show more. They're going to have more of an opportunity to show what they can do this upcoming season. And I mean, that is a, a clear, um, I would say, a clear bias on my list too. If you can prove something, if you're projected to do something, and you go out and prove it against better competition, I'm much more likely to rank you higher. There's always a little uh, bit of unease when I'm putting someone like Myton way up the list. Myton was different. We heard about him for two years. Every scout loved him. Uh, pro scouting directors agreed with me that he belonged on the list. He's a rarity. But someone like Pache or Cruz, both of them are really pretty interesting. I um, either or both of those guys would, could be on the top 100 next year with a, if they sort of fulfill expectations with the upcoming season. All right, Keith, really appreciate all the hard work, buddy. Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Craig Edwards from Viva Alberto sub next, followed by Abby Masterco at NJ.com.
5: Hi, Keith. Thanks again for uh, all your uh, hard work. Uh, Great job once again. Um, the Jack Flaherty was the end of your top 100 last year. He found himself there again. Uh, Junior Fernandez was on your just missed last year and he didn't make the same list. I was wondering if he's about in the same spot. And just in general, how you evaluate players who are young and are, are holding their own uh, at, at higher levels but not really have, you know, anything that jumps off the page compared to the, maybe the older players who are getting better results?
0: Uh, sure. Good question. Um, uh, in a case like Flaherty, where he was at the end of the list, because of, essentially because of what he was right then, that it's, it's, a, it's a good athlete, really repeats the delivery, great command, stuff is good, not great. I know his stuff ticked up a little bit at the very end of the season. I'd like to see him hold that for longer before getting more aggressive with the ranking. But the reason he was on the list really both years is what he is right now is not that far off from a back-end starter in the big league. And there's upside remaining. But when he's got all of those elements that I just described, I feel like the floor is pretty good. I'd be shocked if this guy were not a big league starter at some point. It may not be soon, because I just don't know that they need him, but he's on that track already. In the case of Fernandez, what may have hurt him more than anything is that Sandy Alcantara was just better this year. And they're both good. They were kind of together for most of the year. They both got promoted to Palm Beach. And even scouts, I know who uh, – I'm laughing because it's not often that you get the same scouts talking about the same set of players two years in a row because scouts' assignments tend to change or they're stuck on a league and thus seeing a different wave of players. But I happen to have a couple guys who saw both those players in both 2015 and 2016 – and the ones who thought Fernandez was ahead the year before both thought Alcantara had passed him this year. Sandy is, is taller. He might have the better breaking ball right now. He throws a little harder. That's not always the biggest criteria uh, criterion, uh, especially since we know you've got to be able to locate or move it or something. Um, but I think he's uh, – even a year ago, I thought Alcantara probably had a higher ceiling. But Fernandez was the more polished guy. He looked like he was going to be a more advanced pitcher. And then they had pretty comparable performances this year but Alcantara took a step forward, whereas Fernandez probably plateaued a little bit. So I, I guess it's a long way of saying, look, I think it's accurate this year. I have Alcantara, I think, one slot ahead of Fernandez in my Cardinals uh, top ten, but there may be a perception thing coming. That, uh, whereas Fernandez is just kind of what he was supposed to be.
5: So with Alcantara, um, you know, given how high you have him on the Cardinals list, uh, do you project him as a starter going forward in and how important is the distinction for you between starter and reliever? I know, you know Luke Weaver is maybe the guy that you've gotten the most feedback from Cardinals fans on uh, after your list came out.
0: I, I think Alcantara is a starter. And when I say that, you know, I've, I've been trying to put some more probabilities on things just to give people more of a sense so it doesn't look so binary. Um, you know, I think Alcantara, and Fernandez for that matter, probably 70-30 chances to be starters right now. And the Cardinals have every reason to leave them as starters going forward. Um, If I think a player, a pitcher, is a sure reliever, 80%, 90% chance to be a reliever, he's just not going on the list because we have some fairly uh, clear data saying the best relievers are not as valuable as average starters, and they don't last as long either. And I'm not going to be the one to say, well, this guy's going to be Mariano Rivera, and he's going to last 15 years. I'm, I'm not that good. So if a guy is a reliever, if he's a reliever now, or I look at a Ronaldo Lopez and I say, that delivery is a bullpen delivery, period. You're not going on the list. Um, and in the case of Weaver, you know, I worry he's six foot. I worry his fastball does not have life or plane. And he's really never had a breaking ball. He didn't have one in college. and I can, I, He's a confusing one to me because his arm is plenty fast. Usually if your arm's that quick, you can at least throw an okay slider. And can't. I know they've had him working with a cutter. I don't think it's there yet. I I think it's a great strategy. Cardinals are a good player development organization. I think that's exactly the right thing to do to try to salvage him as a starter. But looking at all the things that are not necessarily wrong, but that point against him being a starter, the height, the fastball issue, the lack of the quality third pitch, I don't even think there's great deception in the delivery. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of factors that tend to push guys to the bullpen, which is why I feel like he's much more likely to end up a reliever than a quality starter. Uh,
5: the Cardinals spent a lot of money during the current international cycle, especially in Cuba and guys like Randy Rosarena, <laughs> Machado, and Johan Oviedo, which uh, at least to me came as, as a surprise uh, for, for his dollar value, I guess. But now these guys are a little bit older than your typical international fighting. So how, is, how difficult is it to get information and, and evaluate them?
0: Uh, those guys, are, they're all going to get mentioned in the Cardinals write-up. Um, the difficulty, it's really about whether they were seen much at all. Now, the two shortstops you mentioned, Zato and Rosarena, I hope I'm saying that right, um, they were seen a lot as amateurs. They were sort of out on the circuit. Um, I saw plenty of video of Machado, too. He's, he's a long way away. I think physically he's just not that developed, um, whereas Rosarena being older, um, and actually, I think played in the Cuban Serie Nacional too. So there's, some, there's even some history with him. He's been seen in games in the past. So there's a better sense of folks I talk to. I've never seen any of those three guys. But there's a better sense of, of who I talk to, among who I talk to, of especially who he is as a player. Whereas Oviedo, it's premium stuff. Um, I had one guy said to me, This guy might be in the Fernandez Alcantara class a year from now once he's actually pitched in the U.S. and he's been seen more. Just did not. I would not have had enough. I don't know that I could have had enough information um, to rank him more aggressively, given how little he pitched and he wasn't. He just wasn't seen. It's not like Morrie Hong, where everybody saw that guy. The Padres, Lefty, who was on the top 100, I didn't, couldn't run out or couldn't find an, um couldn't run out of people who had seen him. Whereas on the case of Oviedo, there just weren't as many people who had seen him. He pitched a little in the DSL, but he was also the level, and of course, he dominated.
5: Okay, uh, I'll hold off for now if you've got time at the end. I, I've got a few more, but don't want to monopolize sure. things. We can but. talk about our friend Jensen Lewis, too.
1: Great, thanks. We'll go to Abby Mestreko at nj.com, followed by Benjamin Chase uh, at Tomahawk Take. Go ahead, Abby.
2: Hey, Keith, just a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, sure. what do you see as Dom Smith's feeling being? I know his power numbers kind of went from nothing to jumping out, really jumping out at you. And then Secondly, the Mets have great pitching, but do you think they have enough position players in the system to make an impact?
0: I think Smith's going to get to 20-plus homers. Uh, I have been pretty steady on that since he was before he was a Met. He was a 17-year-old high school senior, and I thought he had probably 60 raw then, maybe 70 raw coming. Um, it's uh, it's definitely in there, but if you look to if you watch him play, if you look even at some of his spray charts. He's a real whole fields hitter, and especially in Savannah, his first full year in pro ball. Savannah's horrible for left-handed power. He just spent the whole year just lining singles the other way, and people say, this guy doesn't have any power. It's in there, but he had made a deliberate decision not to go for it, not to be a pull power hitter because the park wasn't rewarded. Last year, he got to a more neutral hitting environment, and you saw him start to pull the ball more. I would like to see him continue to do that. He's so patient, which is good but at the same time, you see something early in the count that you can drive, go after it. He got better at that, and I've seen him do it myself. Um, I think it's just a matter of getting him to do that more consistently over the course of the season. Uh, To your second question, do I think they have enough position players in the system? Yes, um, because I think they focused well enough on getting guys up to the middle, uh, internationally and through the draft. I've said for a while, I think they draft exceptionally well. I think last year where they ended up taking two arms up at the top, two and Dunn, and then Kay, who unfortunately was hurt. Uh, I thought all spring they were going to take a position player, because I think they recognized that was a little bit of a weakness in the system. But the draft just didn't give them the right position player, and they ended up with a, Dunn's a pretty high upside starter, too. So it worked out for them. But I think from talking to people in their organization, too, they recognize they'd like to have more bats in the system. It's just that. Um, given where they were drafting, to the right guy wasn't available, and I would expect the same thing this year. They're, they're not going to force it, but if there's a good bat available to them at the first pick, then that's what they'll probably end up doing.
2: Just one to follow up. Yeah, you since know, Tebow improved at the towards the end of his season in the fall league, but where does he go from here? What do you see him? What do you see happening next with him?
0: I'd you cut off for one second. Which player was that about? Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow. (laughs) Um, I think Tim Tebow should stick to announcing and (laughs) probably never play baseball again. He was the worst player I've ever seen in the 10 years I've been going to the Arizona Fall League.
5: Good to know. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: All right, Benjamin Chase from Tomahawk Take, you're up. And then Paul Banks from Red Eye, if if you've returned to the call, we'll, we'll go to you after. So, Benjamin, go ahead.
3: All right, thanks, Keith, for doing this. Sure, uh, looking at uh, the Braves list, seeing Dansby as high as he was, uh, just curious with the shortstops. There's, you know, doing this myself with another site. Holy cow, are their shortstops high? Uh, what? How do you discern, and what is the discernment in the top end of your shortstops? What? Where do you find your? Your razor-thin margin at the top end, uh, and then kind of a second part of that. Where would Ozzy Albie's rank within those within that group if he'd still be a shortstop?
0: So, on Dansby, Dansby is where he was because he's, he's ready. He's big league ready shortstop right yeah. now. He's an everyday player. He's probably an average regular now, and he's going to be better than that. And there's no question. Another bias i'll readily admit to guys come to the big leagues and shown i'm not reading too much into the sample because it's small but the yeah, at-bats are good Fits. he's making the play sometimes you can just tell the game's a little too fast for a certain guy he, he's ready to go and so that was and you know what else too i when i circulated the list the first draft of the list the was a little lower and the feedback i got from pro directors and other executives was this guy's ready. Just put him higher on the list. He should be second. No one argued for It's funny, Ben and Tim, was always one. But a lot of guys said, just put him second because we know what he is. And that's telling me, too, not only is that an evaluation, but it's an assessment of what his value would be if, if Atlanta decided tomorrow they were going to trade him. The whole world sees him as a, as a major league shortstop right now, and that puts him ahead of the next couple of shortstops. And I'm always stuffed with shortstops at the top of the list because that's where the value tends to be. But those other guys are all a little bit further away, and so there's still some risk, some performance risk, coming with them. In Albie's case, I tried to evaluate him. I split the baby a little bit on that one and said, I know he's not a shortstop going forward, but he could be. If he was somewhere else,
3: mm-hmm. if
0: they woke up tomorrow and somebody, if the Red Sox called and said, we'll give you Ben and Tenney for Albie's, they're taking that deal, and then Albie's maybe goes over and becomes a shortstop again. So I tried to at least consider that as a possibility, it's still in there, um, even though uh, we may not see him play that position again, but I thought Dansby, I'm pretty sure I've, I even said this at the time that Dansby, that they traded for Dansby, I thought he was the better shortstop, and so I think they, they're making the right move, putting Albies to second base.
3: And the second question, if I can, uh, yeah. catcher, catcher within the Braves system is not a spot where they obviously have an elite prospect, but looking around the majors, there really is not a whole lot of elite prospect at that position. And is that more of a, you know, you look around the major leagues right now, there are not a lot of elite catchers, both on the offensive and defensive end. Is that more of a part of where the game is going, or is that just a blip in the radar right now, do you think? Just curious on your thoughts at that particular position.
0: I think you're seeing an industry adjustment on what we expect of catchers. We're now in the last two years – uh, I am hearing more discussion, even from scouts who are not necessarily using the data, not certainly not drawing the data, discussing, receiving, and framing in ways that was simply not a discussion five years ago. And so what's happening is the, the Ryan Domets of the world, the worst framers ever, they're just not going to catch. I mean, they might end up catching the miners, but they're not going to be considered long-term catchers. They're not going to end up high on my rankings because teams are going to say, look, this guy's a terrible framer. He's not going to Mm -hmm. stay back there. The bar has just gone up now that we can actually measure this stuff. And so what that is also going to mean is you're going to get some really good framers who don't hit as much, and teams are going to be happy with that because they're still getting value. They're just simply not getting the offensive production. And if you look at, like, there are only three or four catchers on my list um, this year on the top 100, there's not – much elite offense coming from that position. The guys back there who tend to have the power have often been the bigger guys who it turns out aren't that great at framing. That leader's being a great example. Obviously he's never hit like he was expected to hit. But he's just a terrible framing catcher and has been one for most of his career. And that type of catcher, we just may not see much of him going forward at all.
3: Thanks for doing this, Steve. Yeah, you're welcome. All
1: right, we'll go to Paul Banks from Red Eye. Paul, go ahead. Hi, Keith. Uh, We had a couple Twitter
2: conversations um,
0: recently about uh, Jake Arrieta, and I wanted to get your thoughts on when Arrieta made his comments at the Cubs convention explaining his tweet and then when he referenced you in them. Yeah, this, you know what, I I am going to pass on that. I just don't think this is the appropriate forum for that conversation. Do you think he's going to be in Chicago long term? Uh, that's a, probably a better question for someone who's uh, following the team. I don't know if uh, I don't know what their plans are for him contractually.
1: Okay, so we're just at the top of the hour here, and out of respect for everyone's time, I think we'll go ahead and call it. So I want to say thanks to everyone for calling in today and asking your questions, as well as Keith. Thank you for your time on the call. I want to just send a quick reminder to everybody that the project continues through Friday with the top 10 prospects by team for the AL and NL Central tomorrow, AL and NL West on Wednesday, and top prospects by position on Thursday with prospect sleeper selections on Friday.